0: Sports Radio, 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from the Blue Mesa area is uh, Andy Cochran. Good morning, Andy. Hey, good morning, Terry.
1: Good morning, Broncos country. How are we today?
0: Yeah, they're all uh, they just the games just started. So, are you a big fan? I hope you're recording it. Of course,
1: I got the DVR running so we can make sure we're getting all our preseason action in. We're excited for this year, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, me too. And I got the DVR. As soon as we get done with the show, I'll be watching the game. But and we're gonna podcast everything we do here because I know we're gonna lose people to the game. I don't know why it's a preseason game and we're talking fishing, but some people. Uh, it seemed to get you know, i I'll, I'll tell you a little story Andy. We used to uh, when my television show was on, of course it ran on the altitude network for years, ten years uh part of its run uh, the They used to run as our regular time was Saturday morning, same time as the radio show. People used to go back and forth during the morning, but on Sundays they would rerun the show opposite of football because there was no sports they could put on altitude that was going to draw the sports fan away from away from the football games, but we'd get the non-football fan who loved the outdoors and we'd pick up a pretty big audience. So it was kind of interesting. That was a bunch of useless knowledge. Let's talk fishing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Here for fishing, yeah. We're going to thank everybody for postponing their Bronco preseason game to listen to something that might be a little more practical for us right now.
0: Yeah. You know, Blue Mesa has been one of the lakes this year that, Because of water levels and warmer water and things, fishing has, a lot of anglers have struggled. Some of it's because the fish are just located differently and people don't know where to look. And some of it, maybe the fish are in a little bit of different mood. Tell us what's going on at Blue Mesa.
1: Sure. As a whole, as you mentioned, Blue Mesa, it's gotten tougher. Um, It's typical for the time of year for this lake to fish a little tougher, but a uh, couple compounding problems out here. The water level has kind of caused a pretty major algae bloom in the lake this summer. And so the big effect it has on the fishery is uh, oxygen, water quality issues. So that can actually move fish around or some of the fish that stay in those really high algae bloom areas are a little bit starved out for oxygen at this time of year, so they get a little lethargic and kind of hard to catch. So you kind of compound that with our gill lice situation with our kokanee salmon, and so you get a fishery that is a lot tougher than we're used to this time of year. Um, we're seeing a lot of kokanee salmon schooling right now, but they are very hard to catch. We can you're, You don't have much of a problem finding them, but getting them to bite has been a little bit of a struggle so the big key there is you just keep moving from school to school to school to really pick off the most aggressive fish in each school and as soon as you know the bite slows down and sometimes it never starts but if you get on a school and you catch one or two right away and they quit biting that's your clue to just pull them in go find another school catch a couple active fish move on to the next one it's sort of a run and gun game now where we're used to just parking the boat over a giant school of fish and catching our limit and having fun it's a lot more work now
0: i i know we're going to talk about the lake trout too and they'll probably improve as the water cools Do you think the water cooling will help the kokanee at all or if it's based on those gill lice do you think it may not or or we just don't know
1: right now the feeling is that it's we've probably seen the best jigging bite already we actually started fishing for schooling salmon right around the 10th of july we started seeing a lot of schools forming early and that's pretty common on a low water year those fish tend to move early uh, they're starting to see a fair amount of fish show up in the gunnison river down low now the peak of that run is going to be you know the middle of september but On a low water year, it's not uncommon to start seeing pretty good-sized pods of salmon moving into the lower river. I think they just get in there early because it's cooler, more oxygenated water, and they just feel better. So the cooler water, I don't think, is really going to help that bite, so to speak. I think long-term, it's just going to take a little more water in the lake as a whole, just to keep the lake a little cooler and more healthy as far as the oxygen is concerned to really... Kick that bite off like what we were used to, so
0: what is the actual level at the lake right now, as far as percentage full?
1: uh I think we're right around forty three percent now. It's about sixty five feet low. uh we peaked out right about fifty percent. We've had a really wet summer, so that's really helped keep that level up. I think right now we're about five or six feet higher than what we were at this time last year which if we remember they they did a big water call down to Lake Powell that went from September to October last year and pulled the level really, really low. So that is not something they're doing this year. So we will go into fall with a lot more water than we had last year, and that's going to be a really good thing for us.
0: What about the lake trout now? They're just a little less catchable, but that's not – Uh, that's not unusual for this time of the year you expect that lake trout bite to pick up towards fall
1: yeah the lake trout seem to have found a really happy zone in the lake down on the western end of the lake in saponero basin we're seeing tons of pup lake trout down there settled in on the deep flats which actually this low water helps that a little bit because they hold on these really deep flats which right now aren't as deep as what normally they would be so the bite has been certainly doable um we're finding most of these pups right now like 90 to 120 feet deep and occasionally we're finding a a better you know like a 15 pound type lake trout mixed in with those kind of like dan alluded to there's a little bit of a change in what they eat in the summer in this lake too where those particular fish are holding in that zone because the younger salmon have also found that zone in the lake, 90 to 120, must be where the oxygen level is at its best. And so we've actually been catching like two and three-year-old salmon trolling like 100 feet deep. And so that kind of clues you into why all those lake trout are kind of hanging in that same zone. It does seem, though, that Most all the lake trout are also suspended, not necessarily on the bottom like you're used to fishing. So trolling is definitely the technique right now that's catching them, and it's certainly doable. It's probably one of the best trolling bites on the lake right now is actually catching those pup lake trout in that 90 to 120 zone. And then outside of that, the next best trolling bite on the lake is for rainbow trout, which we've seen a really good population of wild rainbows the last couple of years, and they just keep getting bigger. We've caught several this summer in that four- and five-pound range. And these fish right now are very active shallow. So we're actually catching those on the really shallow flats, like only 30 foot of water, but most of these fish are holding like 10 to 20 feet deep so that's been a really fun one too
0: that sounds like a great bite for those big rainbows what about the browns do you expect a decent fall brown bite
1: yeah the brown trout
0: fishing on this lake
1: just like the spring can be one of the the most fun fishing trips you can do in the fall it'll take a little bit longer for this big lake to cool down to where those things get pushed up shallow usually where Really starting to see a move around the middle of October, but like from Halloween to Thanksgiving is really the peak of it. Like the month of November is when it's just lights out brown trout fishing around the shoreline. So it's coming, but not quite yet.
0: There's another fish there that was illegally introduced that this low water may have actually helped the size of those fish because they uh, didn't probably get off as good a spawn, so they're not as competitive for food. But there's a getting to be a pretty good perch fishery there.
1: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that one. That's one of our big highlights in this lake all summer and especially as we get into fall when those fish get more aggressive and start feeding up is our yellow perch. They the drought has kind of caused them to not have a real successful spawn, which I think for us anglers has actually helped especially with the average size. When we're getting around these perch most everything we're catching now is averaging 10 inches. We a lot of eight to twelve inch fish. And on a if we're targeting perch all day long, we've been averaging like a dozen to eighteen in that like 14 inch range. Some extra jumbos are really starting to show up in this lake. so that's certainly a highlight right now.
0: Oh, and those are such good eating. Oh, you take a twelve, fourteen inch perch, the fillets you get off there are just as good as a walleye anytime, and they just they're fun because the action is steady and they taste so good. I wanna switch gears on you a little bit. Uh I wanna take go down to Pueblo. I you're a bass tournament angler and you've been very successful and you're a guide. And you uh pulled a win out of a tough fishing condition on Pueblo for Bass, took first place down in Pueblo about a week ago. Tell us what's going on down there and how you guys were able to win that tournament.
1: Yeah, you know, we a uh, partner of mine in our in our lure business, we fish a lot of team tournaments down all over the place, but we do a series that ABA puts on down on Pueblo. They usually have a tournament a month almost year round. They take a couple months off in the winter but It's a really fun circuit. The guys are really cool. Um, Super nice bunch of anglers, super helpful. It'd be a really fun one for someone to look into if they want to get into tournament fishing. Uh, It's a one-day, so it's not expensive. The travel's easy. You can just drive down fish and get out of there. Um, So highly recommended tournament trail. But as far as the fishing goes, yeah, Pueblo is such a wonderful fishery and we get down there, I don't know, eight or ten times a year outside of tournament stuff just to go fishing. There's so many opportunities on that lake. Um, Of course, if you want to fun fish, you try to go during the week because the weekend gets pretty wild with pleasure boaters, but that lake has a huge shad population, and we started to see it with winning bags out of these tournaments, especially this year that, the amount of limits weighed in in every tournament and the average bag that it takes to win these tournaments has gotten much, much better over the last couple years. So just a great fishery. There's tons of different stuff going on. So you kind of got to think about it. If you're going fun fishing versus tournament fishing on Pueblo, kind of your game plan can certainly be different. Um, I like to fish for largemouth. I like to fish shallow. Uh, I don't think Pueblo has a, a great largemouth population, but on a in a one-day tournament environment, it's got plenty to get the bites to win almost every one of those tournaments. Um, but if you want to go fun fishing, the spotted bass and smallmouth bass populations are incredible in that lake, and you can get offshore... Use your electronics, drop shots, little swim baits. And you can easily have 50, 60 bass days on that lake. Not necessarily keeper bass, but just tons of numbers. And we talk about it all the time, but that's really one of the greatest fisheries in the state, I think, just as far as fish numbers, the health of the environment of the whole lake is really good. Lots of bait, tons of sport fish. I know there's, a lot of walleye stuff that goes on and we do catch a lot of walleye when we're bass fishing kind of on accident, but guys that go walleye fishing on that lake on purpose love that lake. There's just tons of numbers of fish and it's so fun.
0: Now on the largemouth, since you were targeting them up shallow and I used to love to do that down at Pueblo too. Um to What kind of presentations did you use and what kind of areas were you finding them in?
1: So we were, we were targeting largemouth around the grass, and that seems to be a new thing on Pueblo. and didn't used to have much, if any, aquatic vegetation, so I don't, I don't know the whole story there, but it really started to show up about three years ago, and it was really prevalent last year in the summer and into the fall, and this year it doesn't seem to be as much grass across the whole lake as there was last year, but there's plenty of it. And really, when we were pre-fishing, we are basically just driving the lake, looking at these grass flats, just looking for life. There was some of it that had tons of bluegill. A lot of it had shad up in it, baby bass, stuff like that. And a lot of it didn't have anything in it. So we were just kind of looking around for the grass that had life. And when it's got bait fish in it, you know there's going to be predator fish nearby. And so during the tournament, we just targeted those areas that we had seen pre-fishing that had some life around there. And the bite for us, it was pretty tough that a lot of times you can go down there around that grass and especially first thing in the morning, throw a frog around and get some really cool blow-ups on a frog on that lake. And uh, the topwater fishing just wasn't real good for us, so that pretty much told us that those things must be holding pretty tight or pretty deep in that grass, and so we needed to do something different to get them to bite. Um, We tried punch rigs. Some of that stuff gets pretty thick, so we tried punch rigs getting down in there, and we caught a few bass doing that but not keepers, but we were getting bites, and the bites that we got were on real heavy punch rigs sometimes you needed them just to get in the grass but i think more than that it was what we found was we were getting a reaction bite out of those fish so they weren't it wasn't like a feeding bite it was more of a reaction bite so big ounce and a half punch weight with a big pretty high action creature bait on there kind of clued us into the first few bites there that these fish wanted were just reacting to stuff so, that punching is kind of a slow deal too. So, to cover water, we switched to sh- chatterbaits and swim jigs. And I think the chatterbait wasn't letting that thing fall quite fast enough. So, the swim jig ended up being the deal for us that weekend where we would throw it out, get it stuck in that grass, and just rip it free and let it free fall right back to the bottom. And that's when that bite would come. And we're using half ounce or even three quarter ounce swim jigs with just green pumpkin with a rage craw trailer, so pretty high action trailer on the back of that thing. Just a total reaction bite. You'd rip it out of that grass and just let it plunge back down to the bottom, and that's when they'd fly out of that grass and pick it up. So that kind of ended up being the bite for us. It was super fun.
0: Andy, we are out of time, but that's uh, I'm congratulations again on winning that tournament if people would want to book a guide trip with you or just want more information how do they find you
1: yeah you can find us on facebook and instagram at gso fishing and we have tons of info on there about all that stuff um and our website gsofishing.com you can check us out on there and yeah, feel free to send us messages, direct messages through the social websites or email us. You know, we'd love to help people get started in this tournament fishing stuff. Even if it's not Blue Mesa related, we, we do a lot of other stuff around the state, a lot of multi-species stuff. So we're here to help and we're here to take you fishing if you want to do that too. So check us out and we'd love to talk to you.
0: All right, my friend, we will talk to you again soon.
1: All right, thank you, Terry.
0: You bet. Andy Cochran, we're going to take a time out. When we get back, uh, Brad Peterson's going to join us, and we're going to talk about some of the struggles on these northern and northeastern reservoirs, and maybe give you a few tips where you can improve your fishing there. All that more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN. Let's go to the phones, and joining us, one of our Regular contributors, he does a lot of his fishing up here in the northeast part of the state and also does a lot of our waterfall uh, information for us, and that is Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad.
2: Good morning, Terry.
0: It's, uh, we've been take go, kind of going around the state talking to people, and, uh, you know, it's really been a mixed bag. You know, Granby is probably fishing about like expected. Williams Fork is actually better The metro lakes have fished really well. The southeast lakes have struggled with water levels. Blue Mesa is struggling a little bit with water levels and an algae bloom. And the northeast part of the state hasn't been exempt from any of that, has it?
2: No, and the northeast has definitely had uh, some of both going on right now. You know, we've had some real low water level on certain lakes. And, you know, other bodies of water have still held their water fairly decent and the bite's still good so the northeast is kind of a combination of everything you've been talking about.
0: Yeah let's start out um, before we get to the ones close to home let's go out like the lakes out on I-76 out in that far northeast. Um, A lot of those the water levels are pretty low aren't they?
2: Yeah they are you know the state put a, a salvage operation on Jumbo the end of July. Uh, they're fearing that that's going to go dry or to Deadpool, and they're going to lose all the fish. Uh, the 18th, uh, just a couple days ago, they shut down the boat ramp there. Uh, the boat ramp at Jackson's been shut down, and I would guess that Pruitt is probably shut down or close to it to where it'd be hard to launch a big craft. So if you're going to go out on the northeast, you know, pretty much what you've got is you've got Sterling, which uh, the elk ramp has closed, but the south ramp is still open. And it's, it's about its normal water level for this time of year. And the bite has been, you know, there's some guys getting into some crappies, but there is a fall reaction walleye bite going on. The problem is there's a lot of forage in there. So you really have to, you know, hit the right spots and be there during the feeding window because those fish don't have to feed long to fill themselves up with the number of shad that are in that lake.
0: Yeah. So it might, you know, I mean, not that it isn't worth the drive, especially if you can get into those crappies, but if you can get that fall bite going, it might be worth the drive without having to go out of state, but there might be some places closer we can get you into that. What do you see in like Boyd and Horsetooth?
2: You know, I've been on both uh, this past week. Uh, Horsetooth is the lake is dropping, but it's still at a pretty reasonable level. And both the the smallmouth and the walleye bite's pretty good. Um, the smallmouth with the lake dropping are kind of pulling off onto those main lake points and main lake structure that has the bigger rocks on them. And the walleyes, people are catching them out suspended in the middle, but they're also starting to move along the dams. So there is the opportunity. If you don't want to troll, you can go up there and, and pitch the, jam- the dams with like jerk baits and catch some walleyes up there. Um, boy. the water level, you know, good news on there. The water level is about 14 feet low, which is lower than it was last year. But the the ditch company has said that they pretty much have finished calling water or pulling water out of the lake. So this is about the level we're going to stay at. We may lose another foot or so from evaporative loss, but it's not going to get much lower. So, the people that are getting out there and we're concerned that Boyd may get real low, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And the bite at Boyd is, you know, it's definitely different than normal because it's lower than normal, but there are still fish biting. If I was going to go out there right now, I think what I would really target is the white bass. And so I'd either go out in the morning or in the, the later afternoon, evening, You know, look for those birds, look for the boils. If you don't see those, start looking for structure because there is schools of white bass on that structure. And especially if you see shad around, those fish are going to be more actively feeding. And you can get them, you know, on topwater baits when they're boiling or like a jig and a twister. And if they're down deeper, more of that reaction style bait. So a jig and wrap or a spoon Something like that's going to get those fish to bite a little better, but the white bass are going to be your most consistent bite on Boyd.
0: Okay, yeah, so I think those bites are going to continue to get better. From what you've told me, um, it sounds like both Boyd and Horsetooth, we should see boating availability probably through the end of the season. Is that what you're thinking? And with that being the case, things should really pick up in the fall.
2: Yeah, both of those look like the, the boating's available uh, through the rest of the season. And um, like you're, you're saying, as the water temperatures, that we're just starting to get some of those cooler nights, and the water temperature probably peaked about a week ago, and we're going to start seeing it coming back down. And as that water temperature starts coming down, those fish are starting to get more active. The other thing that will happen on Boyd in particular Is usually about late September, October. They start putting in those stocker trout, and they do their fall stocking. So that's another opportunity to get into good numbers of fish. Uh, The other lake that I was by earlier this week that still has ample water is Union. And Union's often overlooked by people. It's just kind of on the the east side of Longmont there. But uh, Union had good water, and that lake has some pretty good – uh, numbers of walleyes, and wipers as well. So that's one that uh, you might want to look into, and it's a pleasant one to go to. It's a little on the smaller side, and it is a no-wake lake. So you don't have to worry about the uh, the weekend crowds of all the, the skiers and wave boats disrupting your fishing.
0: We almost got to run. I want to get to Sean Early with our, our insurance tip of the day. But before I do, what about uh, – Glendo, real quick, what's going on up there? I know you fish that quite a bit.
2: Yep, Glendo has definitely started the fall bite. The lake is dropping, and it's pulled those fish pretty much out of the weeds and into the the main lake structure, so that reaction bite, the the spooning and jigging bite, um, and like jigging wraps, is really starting to go good. The best thing I can say up there is just trust your electronics. Those fish are going to be out deep enough that you're going to be able to see them on your electronics, whether that's, you know, your traditional 2D, you know, down scan, your side scan, or or the new forward-looking sonar. You're going to be able to see the fish. If you're in an area that you're not seeing the fish, keep moving, because once you find those fish, you're able to get them to bite right now.
0: All right, Brad. If people want more information, how do they get a hold of you?
2: Uh, You can find me on Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors or uh, shoot me a text message or call me at 303-829-3998.
0: All right. My friend, we will talk again soon.
2: All right. Thanks, Terry.
0: Thanks. Let's go right back to the phones. And Sean Early from Elkwoods Insurance is with us. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing good. We've been traveling around the state by phone and talking to people and really getting a mixed bag of what's going on fishing. Some lakes are on fire, some lakes are struggling. I know you were recently down at um, John Martin, and your best luck, you said, was fishing catfish in the in the spillway. Is that right?
3: Yeah, that is correct. The, uh, the bite for the crappie and the white bass turned off on us, and so to beat the skunk, we went down to the spillway and was throwing some squid cut bait and uh, catching them, you know, at dusk.
0: And you sent me a picture of a really nice one. You know, that's an over. A lot of the lakes in Colorado have catfish, and it's an overlooked resource. People don't fish them enough because you can get it as some good ones, and they'll pull your string.
3: Oh, absolutely! Isn't the current state record out of Aurora Reservoir that was caught in the middle no, I of the think- day?
0: I think it was out of Pueblo, but um, I don't. That could have changed. It might be, but all the reservoirs in up and down the Front Range have catfish. And and uh, I went one time. We took a bag of frozen shrimp, and we went to a small pond, and we just put those shrimp. The, the, the thinking with the shrimp was, if we didn't catch any catfish, we could eat the shrimp, right? So, <laughs> but but we and we hooked those shrimp, and we were catching. I mean. We're catching catfish in the 10-pound range. Now, a lot of times you're going to get these 16-, 18-inch catfish, and they're still fun to catch, but I caught in the spillway below Pueblo Dam, I caught a 20-pounder once, and the state records are, I think, in the 30-pound range. We have several, so it's a, it's a great. The other question I had for you before we talk insurance is, are you getting your scouting and your practice in for hunting?
3: I am. So I've been shooting my bow as often as I can. I kind of set up a little range in my garage just to get the trigger time and get my stamina up. But before I go out into the field and do some scouting, I've been doing some e-scouting online. So I'm kind of looking at areas um, that I want to hunt and figuring out how I can get away from roads and people and looking for the structure that I need. Just like fishing, you look for structure for elk, too.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it's amazing how similar fish and animals on the dry land are. Um, e-scouting is something, you know, of course, it's new over the last decade or so, but there's a ton of information out there that really help you, isn't there?
3: Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I start off going at the Parks and Wildlife. I look at the harvest reports from the year before. I look at the draw reports from the year before. And then I start there, and if, like, if I decide I want to go over the counter, I look at the over-counter units, and I look at the success rate and how many hunters there were, and then I go into those units, and then I start looking at the area.
0: And it really gives you, it sets up your plan. There's really some good tips there. Before I let you go, how about a good tip on insurance? One of the things we don't talk about very much is extra liability insurance, like an umbrella policy. Why is that important?
3: An umbrella policy is important because if you extend your current liability, so let's say you're in a very bad car accident and your two hundred fifty thousand dollars of um, auto liability is exhausted, after that, that should that will come out of your pocket in lawsuits. By adding the umbrella policy, you can extend that liability up to a million dollars, and not only does that cover your auto, but it also covers your home. Um, They also offer commercial umbrella policies for business owners, and that's something that I can write as well, so I can do your commercial liability and an umbrella along with all your personal lines products. So
0: if people were interested in those products, how do they get a hold of you?
3: Um, All my contact information can be found at www.elkwoodsinsurance.com.
0: All right, my friend. We will talk to you again in a couple of weeks, but I expect you're going to be out in the field doing your scouting before I talk to you next time.
3: Yep. I'm going tomorrow and then next weekend I'll be back at John Martin fishing.
0: All right, my friend. We'll talk soon. Keep in touch. Keep me posted. Will do. All right, Sean Early, you know, um, folks, if you're looking for insurance, Sean's business is built on integrity and honesty. He represents just a number of companies uh and he he'll, he'll he'll do the shopping for your insurance while you're in the field. You may keep him from getting out and doing his scouting, but you'll get out to do yours and that's how he does his business. All right, we're going to take a time out and when we come back, one of our favorite contributors, I hope he's not listening so he doesn't hear me say that, will join us and that's JR from Colorado Clay's on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. When love has got you down and the world is crashing all around, you can always count on me. All right, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom outdoors on ESPN. That little ditty you were just listening to is from Wickstrom and Dobris' current EP that you can find on your local streaming service. We did a, before I get to Jr. and he dominates the conversation. Uh, we had a quick question on the text line about catfish. I mentioned we were talking about it a little bit. And ca- can ca- do catfish really attracted to the stinkiest wor- worst bait that you can imagine? At times, yes. Mostly, that's channel catfish. Some of the other catfish aren't quite as susceptible to that, but they can be. Uh, but at times, just a live minnow or a live piece of cut bait can be just as effective, depending on the mood they're in, the time of the year, and how they're reacting. I don't have time to get in more depth, but the stinky baits do work a good portion of the time. In fact, this is a good time for them. And speaking of stinky baits, let's go to the phones and join Jr. from Colorado Clays. I do oh, like Good that morning. Transition. <laughs> Yeah, I heard
4: you, Terry. Hey, I got two cents worth on that. The last catfish I caught was on a blade bait, believe it or not.
0: Oh, you know, they will hit a lure. Catfish are voracious predators. They eat live bait, too. They do that. Of course, you you could catch fish in a bathtub. You're so good. Michelle told me you were the last boat off of Bar Lake before they closed the ramp and that uh, you were catching some big wipers and walleyes.
4: Yeah, Terry, it was nice, and it was. We were the last. We went through 1.2 feet of water to get to the main lake, so it was certainly the last day, but yeah, I was able to put something together and end up with a pretty good bag of fish, so uh, very happy with that. You know, and uh,
0: before we move on to shooting, and of course that's what you and I want to talk about, somebody wanted to get out on Bar Lake with a kayak right now, could probably have a great time.
4: Yeah, it's uh, still open to hand launch, from what I understand. So, uh, yeah, yeah I knew I I see a belly boat, a kayak, um, some smaller hand launch type craft, and uh, yeah, there's no reason you couldn't still do some good fishing there. Um, things were good when I left.
0: Well, they'll just have to stop out of Colorado Clays and talk to you about where the fish are.
4: Absolutely, I love talking right. fishing. You know that, Terry. I
0: I know you do. Well, let's talk some shooting. You know, whether you're fishing, uh, you got to prepare for things. But when the shooting sports, because the 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 skills are very, they diminish over time. They're perishable. The value of prep, of preparation in hunting or pl- doing special events or participating in competition can't be understated.
4: Yeah, and and you're absolutely right, Terry. I think you know preparation for anything is generally done with the intention of succeeding at something following it, and. And although people may define success differently, I know in the shooting and hunting world, it's generally feeling like you've done everything you can to prepare yourself for success at whatever your goals are. And, you know, Terry, that's where Colorado clays is really so helpful for any preparation in hunting and shooting sports. And being Colorado's number one public access shooting range, uh, Colorado Clays has all of the tools you'll need to prepare for any hunting, whether it's doves, upland birds, waterfowl, uh, small game or big game alike. Uh, Maybe you're practicing for a shooting competition, and that could be rifles, pistols, or shotguns, or just simply wanting to try and Shoot better than your buddies the next time you do a friends and family type outing. Um, You know, Colorado Clays offers our facility year-round. We have everything you need. And I will say, Terry, uh, of all the things, you know, that preparation is done, uh, some of the most fun preparation is really done getting ready for these outdoor sports we love so much.
0: Oh, it really is because – Uh, It's part of it, you know, like going through my fishing gear in the spring and getting it ready with that anticipation. And then getting ready to shoot, going through the range, practicing, working on your fundamentals. Uh, Some people even enjoy getting ready for dove season.
4: No, absolutely. And uh, we have them out here doing that now, Terry. I will tell you, you know, sometimes you think of preparation of studying for a test, and that's a whole different thing. Uh, preparation in the outdoor world is something that people you know, take seriously, but the rewards are so great when you do prepare properly and things come around. And I must say that probably the most common thing I hear is that missed opportunity, that uh, messed up scenario because you didn't take the time to come out to the range, uh, pattern your gun, sight in your gun. Uh, practice those targets that give you trouble Uh, get to where you can manipulate and maneuver your gun by feel just all of those things that come into play when you do prepare here at Colorado clays can really make the difference in um, having a successful outing whether it's hunting or shooting or fun
0: or even worse than not preparing is when you don't go practice and you get in the field and your gun malfunctions (laughs)
4: <laughs> exactly and that's uh, one thing a beautiful thing about here at the range Terry is that you can get some cycles on the gun you can decide hey maybe I do need to lube this gun maybe I have some loose uh, scope uh, maybe I need to change chokes maybe this load isn't patterning i mean the the list goes on and on and uh, our facility offers ranges courses and fields that allow anybody to get any firearm ready for any activity so uh, just can't understate or overstate how important it is
0: well and you know we've got a lot of it hunting is we've been talking a lot this uh these last two hours about fall fishing is coming but a lot of hunting is starting i think dove season just starts what just in a matter of days doesn't week
4: yeah correct and uh that would be probably one of the first ones that i'm seeing people really getting on terry uh we've actually been patterning a lot of guns um, you know some folks with some new guns, particularly do not know that uh, you know an improved cylinder is a much wider spread on it than a full choke is, and they 're coming out to this pattern board they 're taking a given distance and they 're seeing what the difference is, seeing what the density of their load is, and comparing that to the size of game they 're going to be shooting and uh, Of course, after that, we send them down onto the range uh, and and have them choose targets that are going to represent. Um, you know, doves, I've always said a clay target is very similar uh, as the main body of a dub in size. So judging distance and speed and leads can all be achieved with just a few sessions out here at the range and put you in a prime position for a very successful hunt.
0: I can uh, go through a lot of ammunition shooting clays or doves. It doesn't matter. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> uh.
0: Hey, but, you know, um, all seriousness, um, I, I'm not sure of the status of Upland game this year. We're going to talk more about that as we get to fall. Doves might be the bright spot this year. It seems like there's a lot of doves. We've had pretty good weather and nothing to push them out or anything. So I would think the first week or two of dove season this year might be uh, very good times to get out. And dove season is also a great um, opportunity to get youngsters into the shotgunning sports because you don't really need to necessarily fire a 12-gauge with the recoil and things to to hunt doves. What do you guys see a lot of the younger shooters getting ready for dove season? What kind of shotguns are they using?
4: Well, like I say, Tara, there's so many uh, factors from, you know, the your budget to, <laughs> um, you know, availability and such. But generally, depending on the stature, the size and the age of the kid uh, will determine somewhat what they can handle in the weight of a gun and recoil. Uh, For the smaller and younger ones, a 410 is a great choice just because it is so easy to handle and the recoil is so light. Uh, You get kids that are a little bigger, a little older. Uh, A 20-gauge is a great choice. Uh, Colorado Clays does have some really good Satori 20-gauge rentals and a couple of them in youth models, so I'd encourage anybody that thinks they want to try that out before they go buy one to come out. we, uh, We rent those and love helping the kids get into the shooting sports. So generally, 410s and 20s for those younger kids are a best choice
0: i would uh personally if they can handle the 20 gauge i'd recommend it because i actually had to go through therapy because of shooting a 410 but (laughs) no seriously i grew up the 410 was both my deer rifle and my first hunting shotgun and you do learn to shoot with a 410 but it's a small pattern And it can get frustrating for young shooters, even though there's light recoil. So if they can handle a 20, you get a much better. I'm sure you've seen that when you pattern them.
4: Absolutely, Terry. Like I say, the very young ones, um, the 410 is good. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be – it's more of a uh, professional-type gun. I mean, the guys that can shoot a 410 good are really good shots. But uh, to get them out in the field – to not have any bad taste in their mouth over the recoil, to make sure that they are able to handle the gun. It's light enough that they can actually have a good fundamental stance and shoot it properly. All of those come into play, and choosing the right one uh, is, is really important at that age. I will agree with you. Uh, even a 28-gauge would be good, but they're kind of rare, and the ammo is a little spendy. But uh, certainly a 20-gauge would be a great choice for anyone that can handle it.
0: All right, last question. we got to run after that, but muzzleloader season is close. I know you accommodate muzzleloaders. Tell us about your facility.
4: Well, our rifle and pistol facility is very muzzleloader-friendly, Terry. Uh, We've been sighting in muzzleloaders for the last couple weeks pretty steady. Uh, We have the option of sitting, standing, or prone shooting positions. We have 50- and 100-yard targets. The 100-yard target having our uh, video viewing system so you literally can look up at your monitor, see where you're hitting, and do your sight in in real time without spotting equipment. And, of course, with that open-air design, the smoke associated with the muzzleloader is not a problem at Colorado Clays. So, Terry, we really have everything the muzzleloader needs to prepare for his hunt, and uh, our range is available right now, so I'd encourage everybody to get a head start and get them dialed in.
0: Yeah, especially, uh, do you still have some uh, some ammo for muzzle loaders?
4: Well, we do have some primers. Uh, we generally here in the next week or so, we're going to put together some range packs that will include some patches, uh, 50 caliber balls, primers, and stuff. So folks can just use that uh, just for a basic sight in uh, to get dialed in a little bit, and then they can use their um, hunting um, loads to do their finals so a lot of times we we offer this range pack to help people get going get on paper uh just get things cited roughly in and then they can fine tune with them what they're going to hunt with
0: all right my friend if people want to get a hold of you it's coloradoclays.com
4: yes sir 303-659-7117 give us a call or go to coloradoclays.com check out our website but by all means terry get out here and get prepared
0: all right, my friend, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Terry. You bet. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back. We'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on ESPN. All right, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors this week on ESPN. Uh, normally, if you've discovered us here and you haven't heard, followed us before, You'll find us on the Fan from nine to eleven every every Saturday morning. Uh, occasionally, a sporting event like there was Broncos coverage today, they'll bump us over to uh, to the ESPN sixteen hundred station, our kind of home away from home, uh, and we'll go from ten to twelve. We also podcast uh, almost well. We podcast everything on this show two different ways. If you go to one um, zero four three thefancom dot and then go to the shows and the Terry Wichstum Outdoors page. We have podcasts that are hour one and hour two of the show that cover everything. And then we have individual podcasts that are just segments, like that segment we just did with JR. That'll be a separate podcast if you wanted to re-listen to that. And what I do during the week is I take some of the more timely and informative uh, segments of the show, and i when Karen or I post them up on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and if and then you can kind of get caught up on some of the things you miss. If you uh, if you like this show, you should follow Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Really, it's kind of the heartbeat of the show. We'll tell you if there's a special guest coming up. We'll tell you if we're you know going to be moved off of the fan for that day and on ESPN. Karen puts up links to um, videos on our YouTube channel. And by the way, a huge amount of the fishing that we talked about on today's show, there are episodes on our YouTube channel, uh, The Best of Fishing with Terry Whitstrom, that address those exact, not only those techniques, but those exact locations those techniques so go give it a look sometime it's just the best of fishing with terry wickstrom it's it's legacy programming from our 22 seasons doing outdoor television some of it's travel and some of it's just how-to fishing right here in your backyard so go take a look at that we go from a lot of it being filmed right here to taking you from the arctic circle to the equator so hopefully you'll enjoy that but facebook again karen puts links up there If you follow the Facebook page, we'll try to keep you informed. And when I get out in the field and get a chance, whether it's on a trip or locally, I try to report and keep you up to date on where we're at and maybe give you ideas where you want to take a trip or inform you of a hot bite that's going on. Uh, So we try to do that. We also get news releases from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We put the fishing report up there. So that's what we would like you to follow that. Getting into fall, we've gone through some transitional fishing here this last uh, few weeks, where some lakes have remained really good, some never got really good, and some of them have declined quite a bit, and we're looking forward to change. As we transition And now, the water temperatures with the shorter daylight and the cooler nights are going to start to slowly decline and then decline a little more drastically as we get into fall. This should trigger some very, very good fishing this fall uh, and at almost all aspects because we've had rivers that were shut down for warm water, We've had lower flows. Um, The farmers will stop pulling water. It'll give more regular flows, cooler temperatures. And then it'll also trigger uh, actions in the bait fish. Drastically falling water temperatures can stress bait fish, make them more vulnerable, puts the large predator fish on the feed bag, knowing that's happening. Also, their instincts tell them they need to start fattening up for fall. So we're headed into a period of some of the best fishing of the year. And it's fishing where you don't have to fight the crowds because this time of the year, a lot of the hardcore anglers are hardcore hunters. And so they're going to be out in the field hunting. So, and then a lot of people, their kids are in sports. They, they're football fans they are going to be watching. They have other activities. So if you can get out and fish in the fall, you're going to experience not only some of the best fishing for numbers, but another one of the best times of the year to catch big fish. Spring is always a great big fish time of the year, but so is fall. And, you know, you can catch a big fish any time of the year. But those are prime times to really have the opportunity to catch the fish of a lifetime. So get out and do that. Uh, follow our music, Wickstrom and Dobreth. Uh, you can search us on uh, social media. You can search us on almost any streaming service. If you just stream Wickstrom or Terry Wickstrom, you get about 5,000 podcasts of my radio show. But if you stream, search Wickstrom and Dobreth, let us know. We have a new single. I was in the studio yesterday, finished the vocals. We'll be releasing that as soon as Mark gets done putting the arrangement together. So we'll tell you about that. Join us next week on The Fan. I want to say thanks to Jake, who's back after becoming a new daddy a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations, Jake, and thanks for being back on the show. We missed you. Thanks for Karen for keeping me on the straight and narrow. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports on ESPN.